Hallo en welkom to EduTalks, de Educational Innovation Podcast at the University of Twente. Live from the campus studio, I'm your host, Robin Vemmelund. And today we'll be judgmental comparatively. Let's play the saxophone. Assessment has always been a key part of our education, checking whether the student has achieved the learning objectives. You, however, want your assessment and judgment to be as fair as it can be, so you know that when this student visits his grandma with his report card, that 10 euro bill is well earned. Besides traditional means of doing this, with score sheets and rubrics, there is another method, and that is the concept of comparative judgment. To explain this concept to me, I have two guests today who will most gladly enlighten me on this topic and how to use it. This doctor and doctor-to-be who accompany me are Marieke van Giel and Priyanka Pereira of the ENN department at BMS. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So let's uh, first of all go over the whole concept of comparative judgment. What is it? (laughs) Okay, so maybe I can uh, explain a little bit. Um, It's a way to make sure that students get a more fair evaluation of their work. And that means that it's reliable, but also valid. And that's something that we don't usually get when we choose, for example, objective tests. We only get a reliable measurement. But when we go with performance-based assessment, we get a valid assessment, but not very reliable. And what comparative judgment does is, uh, instead of looking at one student's work and just judging it in isolation, we look at two students' work at a time and we don't give them a mark. We just say which one is better. And then we do this with multiple pairs of students' works again and again and again. So you generate a data set of all these pairs of works with which one is better in each pair. Okay. And um, what is, is this kind of like standing in a supermarket and comparing two cans? Is it very basically put like that? Yes, actually... Um, most of our decisions, whether we do it consciously or unconsciously, we base most of our decisions on comparison. So, for example, if I go to a store and I want to decide which mobile I want to buy, uh, I will usually say, okay, this one has all these features and that one is the same price, but it has less features. So I'll obviously go for the first one. So we we spend our entire lives making decisions based on comparing things, even sometimes unconsciously. And therefore, we're really good at it. So when we look at two students' work, it's easy for us to just generically pick which one is better with a more general descriptor of what makes the work good. Okay. And um, so why would we use this then in in, in, uh, education? Mm. So as I was saying in the beginning, it's more like to make sure that it's reliable and valid because mm-hmm. you can use it for performance-based assessment, which is a good way to check higher-order learning. So when you want to when you want to check higher-order learning, um, you can use a performance-based assessment. But if two different reviewers or scorers look at that, they may have two different scores for it. And then that's not very reliable. But when you use comparative judgment, you have a lot of different evaluations of each piece of work. And then when you put all that information together, you get a reliable assessment of it. And how did you both get involved with this whole topic then? Is it the sort of frustration <laughs> with how uh, regular assessment works? Uh, for me, it was more uh, one of many options for assessment. So maybe to, to give some context, I'm a teacher in the Educational Science and Technology Master course, and I provided a course on assessment. So our students learn 
about assessment. What is it? How can it be done? And within this course, I would like to, uh, well, to have our students a broad array of opportunities to assess and, and uh, possibilities to assess work or performance. And then uh, I don't know exactly how we came to the conclusion that both of us were familiar with the concept of comparative judgment, but I think it is a very um, intuitive indeed and rather straightforward way of assessing complex tasks or more, um, well, it's it's a more holistic way of, of judging. And I think that is a very important element because most of the higher order skills we would like our students and students in general to acquire are very, um, they consist of a lot of different skills that have to be performed in coordination in order to perform the entire skill very well. So you mentioned high order skills. Well, just as a brief explanation, what, what is that? Well, maybe you can just Google a definition. <laughs> <laughs> Let's read it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> um, how would you define higher order thinking, higher order skill? It's it's mostly that it is complex, that there's not one correct way of doing it. There's mm-hmm. multiple ways that lead to multiple solutions that each can be good or valuable in their own. So, inst- well, when you do like a math assignment in grade two, you are very... It is not needed to do uh, comparative judgment because if it is two times two, well, most of the time (laughs) you come up with four. And if it's not four, it's not correct. Mm -hmm. So if you would like students to design something in DOT, we have this challenge based learning teams who work on solving a complex problem. So in the beginning, you as a teacher can't say this will be the correct way of solving this and this will not be correct. But you do see a variety of products students come up with. You do see a variety of approaches, a variety of things they have tried or not tried or overlooked or discussed or whatever. And by um, evaluating one of these student pieces of work on their own, you will um, see the value of some pieces and the lesser quality of other elements in that work. But it may be very difficult to judge the quality in a sense that you would um, have a final judgment on this work and by ordering them. And it doesn't mean that you have to say which ones are insufficient or sufficient, but you do say this one is better as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm talking a lot, but I, um, I wanted to make another point because you mentioned the cans of soup. And I think that's a very clear example Mm -hmm. because if you combine two cans of soup. I never buy soup. So I'm trying to imagine I'm buying two cans of soup. Then I would maybe look at the ingredient list uh, and maybe look at the nutritional value and maybe at the price and maybe whether the, um, what the, uh, how do you say it? What kind of products are in there and Mm -hmm. what kind of stuff is in it and whether it looks like it tastes nice. Because that's important too, right? So you look at a lot of different elements, but you can't say this thingy in the soup is the most important. This is this is it for being the kind of soup I would want to buy. But if you compare, you say, okay, I like this one better and this less. And I can, think you can imagine if you get three cans of soup and you would compare A and B and B and C and A and C, you could rank order them quite easily. But if you have pieces of work of 20 groups of students, that's not a very feasible way, mm-hmm. or maybe you could like order them 
in in a rank order that could work but if you do that with multiple assessors you do need some tool (laughs) to come up with this ordering in general and that ordering would always be done in pairs most most people would look at a and b and say okay a is better than b and then they would look at b and c it's unlikely that you would look at all 20 together and as in one quick decision rank them one to 20 you would tend to do it in pairs and that's exactly what comparative judgment does Yeah, and then maybe you would take a new one and say, okay, this is less than two, but better than seven. So it comes in between those two. And then, yeah. But you also mentioned if you're doing it with multiple assessors, that that might also be difficult because going back to the soup analogy, for instance, I prefer this soup and you don't. Yeah. Yeah. How does that work then? Well, because you have this holistic view on the soup. Mm. <laughs> um, you should still do it about chocolate. I think we had a nice talk about dark chocolate before this. <laughs> well, this there session. would be a nice criterion that would differ across <laughs> these different raters. Um, but therefore, uh, I think that illustrates that different assessors on products as a whole can have different elements that they are more um, focused on or more they um, put more value on. But it doesn't mean that they do have an entire different view of the quality of the product as a whole. So what we do see is that there are some, um, well, differences in some pairs, but that in general, in most of the studies that have been conducted on comparative judgment, the (laughs) overall rank order is rather reliable. Yeah, and I think what happens is... um it's very fine for two assessors to have different opinions on, let's say you have a pair of A and B's work and assessor A thinks, well, A's work is better and the other one thinks the other one is better. But um, these these are hundreds of comparisons that are being done and it's all being fed into a statistical software. All the pairs and which one is better in each pair by each assessor. So it's all this data that goes into the software and the software throws up a model of which um, which one is the best and which one is the worst and everything in between. It creates a scaled rank order of all the students' products. So we don't have to individually think about uh, if whether or not two assessors are having the same opinion. They can have a different opinion. It's okay. Okay. So it's okay by the nature of the whole comparative judgment. Well, and I yeah. think also because of uh, the fact that you use the comparisons, a lot of comparisons of multiple assessors in order to get this high reliability as opposed to one or two assessors having to agree on a single piece of work. So indeed, if we had to decide which soup we would buy, (laughs) we may have a heated argument in the center of the supermarket and you would say, I like this one better. And I would say, I like this one better. And in the end, we would probably come to a consensus about getting the other one, because if compared to your favorite soup, the other one is almost as good. And to my favorite soup, the other one is almost as good. So then we have to agree on that one. Uh, But if we would have to say, what is the value of your soup? And what is the value of my soup? We may have way more discussion about what then actually is the quality of that soup. Okay. And then then from there on out, we already mentioned there's a tool, there's a software. (laughs) Let's talk about it for a moment. Uh, because I can imagine if you're going to do this all by hand, this is well hardly possible if you're working in a large group of students to assess all of them. Uh, yeah, I think you you could 
probably do that, but it would take a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the 1700s, they did it by yeah. hand. Oh, the comparative judgment was something in the 1700s? Well, yes, actually comparative judgment is the original way that students were graded before marks ever came about. Mm. Um, people, would, I mean, the examiners would sit with all the students' work and then rank order them. And it was only later that marking came about and then we shifted to the marking system. Well, why did we shift to the marking system originally then? I don't know. This was in the 17th or 18th century. So <laughs> I haven't had a chance you to stop. You haven't asked anyone from <laughs> <No>. that time. <laughs> but now in the 1970s, comparative judgment has started coming back into the limelight. And yeah, now it's a little more popular again. Yeah, and there's a, a large group in Belgium that has been doing research on comparative judgment, especially for writing products, if I'm correct. Yeah. Um, and they have developed this Comproved tool based on their research. So that's the, the Comproved company is a spin-off from that research group. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, a, it's a tool that presents two pieces of work next to each other. And as an assessor, you just have to click which one's better. And there are several options. So you could ask the assessors to provide feedback to the two pieces. You could even ask feedback on specific elements you would like the assessor to give feedback on. Um, and by uh, analyzing the preferred of two in each pair, the software comes up with a ranking of the quality of the different pieces of work compared to, well, a standard score and the deviation from that standard score. So you can also see that some pieces, well, maybe you say A, I see, say B, and you say A and another one says B. Well, then these two are very close. Mm. Well, as all of us would say A as opposed to B, then there, there would be maybe a bigger difference depending on all the other combinations in the system. And how do you communicate this then to a student? What? Well, say there is a top ranking and a low ranking. How do you communicate that to a student in terms of feedback then? Well, it depends. So, so you can give the students the, um, the, the, um, the written feedback, so mm -hmm. the, the reports as uh, things that, that were good or not so good in their work individually. Uh, and you can discuss, so you can also transform the, the ranking into marks or grades if you would like. That depends on, so that depends on the purpose of the assessment. Do you want mm -hmm. to say to a student, your work was worst of everything <laughs> that was handed in? Well, probably not, but <laughs> you, um, is it different than saying you got a four and everyone else passed? That's, I, I think that's, well, I, I don't think you should communicate that as well. <laughs> so, yeah. There are a couple of things that you can do. So if you're using it formatively, then you could, as Marika said, you can give the students the feedback that they well got from the various assessors. You could also share with the permission of the student, you could share the best work with everyone as an exemplar. Like this is what almost perfect work would look like. And another thing that you can do is you can convert the ranking into a score. So you ask an expert. So in this case, maybe the teacher or an external expert to to kind of grade the average product. So once they grade the average product, the, the tool, um, they ca it can calculate the grades for the rest of the products based on the likelihood that that product is better or worse than the average product. So it's, it's all complicated statistics, of course, <laughs> but luckily the tool does all of it and we don't need to do it, so. Um. 
how, how is working with this tool then? Is it like just uploading the files and then can get started? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. As easy as that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to invite assessors. So yeah. depending on how you use it in our course, we use it uh, as a peer feedback tool and a peer assessment tool. So our students evaluated the work of all the students in the course. So they saw two pieces of work of their fellow students, sometimes their own, and have to, had to identify which one was better. And um, so they had to uh, click on an email, a button in an email to get to the environment, but it's really super straightforward. I know, yeah, because that's something I was curious about. This sounds like a very time in, uh, intensive work compared to regular assessment or Did you ever similar? develop a rubric, like a I very did. thorough analytical rubric that you would have to use to assess? It's uh, a nice work for your day and week and maybe longer than that because you want your colleagues to work, look at it as well. Yeah. It, it is a very, very intensive work. Yeah. Yeah. So developing a rubric, an analytical rubric is super intense. Um, doing like comparative judgment, it takes time. It takes a lot of comparisons. So it's not that it is done in a heartbeat, but uh, especially when you have multiple assessors uh, and that can also be students, you can also learn from assessing. So as Priyanka mentioned that you could show the the best of all products as an exemplar, you can also have students reflect on their own quality of work while assessing the work of others, just as in general peer feedback systems. And, and you mentioned yeah, peer feedback, students working with it. How, how do students experience this working as it uh -huh. is like that? Uh, well, I think in our case, one, we had the complexity that we wanted our students to learn about comparative judgment and apply it in this at the same time. And because, well, if that wasn't enough, we also had them uh, value each other's work mm -hmm. for which the content was something they could also learn from. So that was a bit too much. Mm -hmm. Too much, too much. So <laughs> in that sense, uh, to, to be more explicit, our students had to write a short piece on how in a specific country of their own choice, school quality was monitored by inspectorates. And they were asked to assess the quality of that report. But some students mentioned that it was very difficult for them to disentangle between the quality of the report and the quality of the system as described in the mm. report. So that was a hurdle. <laughs> um, the system itself was perceived as super easy to use, very intuitive, super positive. Uh, but students did sometimes um, well, show some unease with judging something as of lesser quality. And I think that was an interesting discussion that some students said, I want my work to be valued in itself instead of in comparison to someone else's work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very intriguing point of view because I think also when you use like an analytical rubric, you compare the work to the description of what each level in this rubric should look like. So the point of comparing students to other students instead of to a neutral benchmark was something I can really get my hands behind. Is that how you say it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think also because um, 
yeah, I don't know, maybe because of a sense of uh, competition or maybe a sense of, uh, yeah, just because these are people that you personally know, it has a different emotional effect than being compared to a rubric, which is just an inanimate thing. Yeah. But I tried explaining to some of the students that um, now we are all adults. These are master's <laughs> students and life is going to be like this. I mean, once you finish your master's and if you go to apply for a job, you are going to be compared to the other candidates for that job. So life is going to be about you being compared to other people. And life is unfair is basically what you're saying. Uh, well, is it unfair? <laughs> That's a question. <laughs> or even fairer in that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bit of a wisdom uh, you're giving at that moment. <laughs> no, but I, did th I would like to add that one of the uh, things that students also mentioned, because we also, to, to add something to this complexity, we also did the same, uh, we, we also uh, judged the same pieces of work with an analytical rubric, which mm -hmm. I have to admit was not a very, very good rubric because we didn't spend more than a week in constructing it. Um, but students also noticed that in that rubric, some things could not be captured that were that you were able to value when looking at those pieces of work more holistically. So um, I think it also stresses that you could use a procedure such as a comparative judgment session to identify elements that are very important in deciding what is a good piece of work. So when you have to explain why you favor B over A, you can identify elements that are important in order to identify which piece is better. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point that Marika brings up, the comparison between using rubrics and using comparative judgment. So when you use comparative judgment, not only you as the, um, let's say, the controller of the assessment, you don't have to come up with a rubric, you don't have to spend time on that, but you also uh, the, don't have to give the assessors time and they don't have to take the time to understand and get familiar with the rubric. So another thing is that um, the, a rubric is meant so that everybody can judge uh, the pieces of work in a similar way because with performance-based assessment, it's subjective. So the rubric is supposed to help to make it a little less subjective. But the criteria in the rubric itself, and as well as the definition of what makes a one and what makes a five on each criterion, that itself is subjective. That itself can be interpreted differently. And with comparative judgment, you just eliminate all of this. And one last thing is that with a rubric, uh, you can't uh, predict and take care of everything that a student may do. So... You can write down what makes a one and a two, a three, four, five. But what if the student has just some, done something very different that doesn't fall into the scale at all? Then the assessor would be left clueless and would have to just make an on-the-spot judgment anyway. Yeah, and, and at that point, it's even less predictable. While with this rubric, you want it to be as predictable as you can. Exactly. I should have known yeah. about this. I was uh, teaching in special needs school before this, and I uh, thought the class shop class, technique, and uh, that's really difficult because your students will always come up with different things. Uh, they have these standard things that they have to follow. You can always look at how well is your wood product finished. Uh, but still, you're always looking for ways for them to express themselves, for some creativity to pop in. But you also want to structure something. So I was always looking in, yeah, a regular rubric is not helpful enough. Then you got those one, the score rubrics um, that, mm -hmm. that still is a bit too open again. So you're really always looking in, in, in this way. So maybe I should have checked out the judgment at that point. 
<laughs> well, and I think one one thing to add to what Priyanka was mentioning is that the um, a rubric breaks the task down in in pieces, mm-hmm. and especially for these more complex tasks and more uh, well higher order tasks, the 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 combination of the pieces is what makes the quality most of the time. So, I think the uh, holistic judgment and therefore. Uh, comparative comparative judgment is a more easy way to do holistic judgment is a very uh, nice approach to valuing well complex student work okay and um yeah i think you're both then still working the whole research around comparative judgment short of not not as much <laughs> <laughs> i'm still curious in, in using this in the following since you, you are using it what, what sort of challenges are still ahead while using this well, there are some, I wouldn't say disadvantages, but some difficulties maybe that you do have to get over. And the first one is that you need a high enough number of comparisons. And that depends on how many products you have. So uh, the typical um, recommendation is that you need 10 times or 37 times the number of comparisons as compared to the number of products in order to get a reliable rank order. Uh, And that's not easy. It doesn't sound like a large number, but it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, that depends on how many products you start with. If you have a large enough number of products to start with, then it's okay. It's easy. Even one assessor can get this done. But when you have a very small number of products and you need this large number of comparisons, like 10 times the number of comparisons, then one assessor, it's not possible to get it with one assessor if you do the math on it. Then you need two assessors or three assessors to make up for that number of comparisons. And it also depends on uh, the variation in the quality between the products. So the more variation you have in the quality of the products, the less number of comparisons you'll need. So that's when it can tend towards 10 into the number of products. But if the, the products are very similar to each other in quality, or if the assessors are not very um, well, very well versed in this uh, topic, like for example, if you're using pure assessment, then they are not experts. So their judgment is not that good. And therefore, you would need more comparisons to make it reliable. So this is actually the major difficulty, getting the number of comparisons. Okay. So a teacher, if they want to get started, should have the right amount of products and assessors. Yes. And then uh, they can find the tool of Comproved. Yeah. And they can get started with it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe one thing to add is that for students, like if you would give us, uh, an assignment to students, they do no, need to know what is expected from them, mm-hmm. right? So you do need to, it's not like you don't have to have any clue about what you're going to <laughs> assess in the end, because you do need to find a balance. But by having a more open assignment and uh, expliciting that you will do also a more open judgment of those assignments, you will also decrease the chance that students will make sure that they will take the boxes in the Mm. rubric instead of paying attention to the quality of their work as a whole. So I think that's an advantage, but also a complexity in itself. It sounds like a nice challenge though for a teacher and looking for (laughs) dealing with this issue of students taking the boxes or uh, not the openness. This might just be the thing for them to look for. Yeah. That's good. Thank you very much for telling me a bit about uh, comparative, comparative judgment. And uh, I think that uh, closes up our podcast for today. So I'll uh, start a jingle for you again. Yes. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening. This podcast was actually produced at the video team of the University of Twente. If you want to consult on your own education or check out the latest educational innovation, you can check out the teams I work at, the Center of Expertise in Learning and Teaching, better known as CELT, and the team Technology Enhanced Learning and Teaching, also known as TELT. If you want to be part of an episode or have any other comments, feel free to reach out to us at edutalks at u20.nl. And for now, I wish you a very good day.